sharing with you guys some more layers and some other facets of the story of Mephibosheth that Pastor Mike took us into last week. So go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to recap a few things, and then we'll jump into some new things that God's been revealing to us this week. Come on. Say there when you're there. Y'all ain't going to let this rain take away y'all's joy, right? No. Y'all better wake up this morning. <laughs> Jamie already told us this morning how much she would wanted to sleep in. So are you awake, Jamie? Come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Second Samuel chapter 9, look at verse 1. We're going to read straight through verse 13. It says, Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David and said, uh, And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of of God. <laughs> and Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to him, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. The, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. Wow. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, here is your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Wow. Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, he didn't even pay attention to that comment. He moved right past it. All that belongs to Saul and to all of his house, I have already given to your master's grandson. <laughs> you and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Amen. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20, and 20 servants himself. Come on, this wasn't, this wasn't uh, just anybody. This was a man of authority placed under the authority of, of Mephibosheth, who according to all worldly standards just had all of his authority ripped away from him. His, his father, his grandfather's and his father's dynasty was just removed from, from the kingship of Israel. And David comes in and says, I might be a whole new dynasty sitting on this throne. And it might be my family for all of eternity that rules from this place. But nonetheless, I will take even men of authority and place them under your authority. Amen. You and your sons and your servants, David says to Ziba, shall cultivate the land for him and you shall bring him produce so that your master's grandson may have food. 
Look at verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king, commands his servant, now no longer Saul's servant, servant of David, all that you, king, say to me, your servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Not one time, not one time way back when, not that one time you met with the king. He ate at his table as one of his, as one of his sons. That is a familiarity, church, that we're working towards. It says Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah or Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. But listen how this ends. And this is the last verse we're looking at in 2 Samuel 9 today. It says, now he was lame in both feet. So this story, as soon as Mephibosheth is mentioned in 2 Samuel 9, as Pastor Mike led us into last week, it mentions that he is lame in both feet. It is a defining characteristic of his life. Whenever you see him, it's going to be the first thing that you see. He is lame in both feet. First thing you notice. Do you have certain characteristics of your life that people notice the first time they see you? Maybe it's that, maybe it's that you're short. Maybe it's that you're tall. Maybe it's that you are filled with an overabundant joy. Or maybe it's that the difficulties of your life show a weariness on you more than the joy of the Lord within you. And so people come to ask you, Christian, for your testimony, but they ask you about the hard things you've been through, not the glorious things that God's done despite all of that. Do you word. hear the difference? So this, is, so this is a perspective that we're wanting to dig more into today because Holy Spirit himself was uh, tenderizing our hearts as we were reading this week. One of the things that Pastor Mike said last week, church, if you, uh, there, were a, there was a lot said last week, and our job is to make sure you got all of it, which is, means we're probably going to preach on 2 Samuel 9 for like five or six months. So that's about how much was in last week's sermon. We, we got to make sure that you, you got every bit of what Holy Spirit was trying to reveal to us through that. One of the things that Pastor Mike said was, I wonder if it might be better for some of you that you were crippled. So that you would stop running from the table that Yeshua himself literally has placed you at. Guys, this isn't, this isn't a sermon preached to those who don't believe in him. Right? Are you tracking with me? We're not talking about those who believe and those who don't believe. We're talking about those who know of his kingship, who have received an invitation, who have maybe even sat at his table one time before, or maybe two times before, or maybe three times before. But whenever we start getting into the counting game of whether you've been there once, whether you've been there twice, and you start having to live your entire life remembering that one last time a long time ago when you met God face to face, we're already in the wrong category of the kind of relationship that Yeshua has made available to us. Does Good. that make sense? Yeah. Pastor Mike was right to say that last week, that it would be better that some of you were crippled in your feet so that you would stop moving so much. The reality is, though, is that so, in so many ways, we have been crippled. We have been paralyzed. Do you guys have some difficult things that have happened in your life that you feel like has made you feel crippled? Right? Maybe it was a, maybe it was a hard upbringing. Maybe, it was, maybe it's a physical um, defect that you have that causes your body pain every day. 
Maybe it's that you were born into a family that didn't have much money, or maybe that you were born into a family that was disadvantaged in some form or fashion. Maybe you have some sort of disadvantage in your body or in your circumstances. The point is, is that we have been crippled in some form or fashion. I want you guys to be able to track with all of us pastors today as we're preaching on this because the cripple, the crippled characteristic of Mephibosheth was not because of sin. That's not the sin in his life that caused him to be crippled. There were circumstances as a child outside of his control that he had no ability to change. Do you have some things in your life that are defining moments of your present state that were completely out of your control? Things that you couldn't stop. You couldn't stop that family member from dying. You couldn't stop from being uh, growing up in a single-parent home. You couldn't stop the fact that your family didn't have enough to hardly get food on the table. These are the crippling things that we look at and we say, man, this keeps me from being qualified to be one of the sons of David, one of the sons of Jesus, and one of the brothers of Christ, one of the sons of our God, our Father in heaven today. What if, church, what if as we dig into this today, we come to understand that there is a divinely enabled or divinely influenced restriction on our lives that makes every foot of ground we gain painful. I'm not supposing that there is some characteristic of God that he likes watching you in pain, but what if that cripple, that crippling characteristic that we have, those things that we haven't been able to take under our control and change, what if those are the things that actually make us qualified, not disqualified, but qualified. The things that slow us down enough to be able to receive the invitation to then go and find ourselves at his table. What if the whole point of this whole thing is that God's been trying to slow you down, not speed you up to make you a better Christian? The uh, special forces, like excellent Christian that can go and conquer the whole world. What if he wants to slow you down? (laughs) Because what's the point in conquering the whole world For Christ, if you find yourself at the end far from him. You guys know, this is something that we were talking about this week. I don't mean to make this intro so long, but it's it's something that God's been, was uh, prodding our hearts with yesterday. Do you all know how many of the strongest and best soldiers our country have ever produced come home and commit suicide? Or come home and can't help but go out for another tour because they don't know how to live at home anymore. Think about that for a minute. The most excellent trained soldiers who carry that banner on their chest and march through enemy territory in the face of danger can go and put their lives on the line for you and come home and want to die. Guys, this is this is there is something that God just wants to slow us down. What if what if you heard today from the Holy Spirit? You don't need to go and fight another battle today. I need you to feel comfortable with me again. Because you've been out fighting because I told you to. But right now, you need to learn how to be at home again. You need to learn how to be with me again. What if you, what if those feet, what if the feet of ground that we're, that we're gaining in, in the kingdom was meant to happen from you being carried? Maybe not the whole time. He wants you as a strong son and daughter to get up and walk, to run to march even at times like a soldier. But what if there are some times that he wants you to relent so that he can pick you up and carry you along the way? Are we too prideful for that today? No. 
we're not too prideful for that today because unless we become like a child, we don't enter the kingdom, right? What if, what if you were meant to be carried? What if your healing and your paralyzing or crippling circumstance, what if the healing of that thing was contingent on a healing in the discontentment of your heart first? What if his presence really becomes enough to you today? This is what he was asking me this week. What if my presence really becomes enough to you, Kason? Well, then maybe you become content in all circumstances. So much so that we don't care for the cost anymore. We don't even count the cost anymore. We're like, I don't care how much it costs. I will sell everything to get a hold of this right here. So much so that whatever we carry becomes weightless. Come on, leaders, parents, pastors, grandparents, husbands and wives in the room today. What if the weight of all that responsibility on you becomes weightless in the glory of his presence? That's not a removal of the responsibility. It just means that under that same weight, you become weightless. What if his yoke being easy and his burden being light has less to do with the yoke and burden of your circumstances and more to do with your heart saying, as long as I'm with him, I can hardly feel the pressure of this weight. The weight doesn't change, but you can't feel it anymore because you're so filled with joy knowing that you are under the yoke with him now. Remember, Pastor Mike's taught this to us so many times, and I'm just catching on to this as of yesterday. Remember the shape of that yoke? It's shaped like a cross, right? And yes, there's someone back there leading this thing. But what if his yoke being easy and his burden being light was because you got under it with him? He's on one side and you're on the other. And we talk a lot about fathers and sons here in the flesh doing it, and that's beautiful. We should talk about that. But what if it becomes heavy and burdensome to us because we tried to do it without him? And that's the, signif- the signifier that we're doing it without him is that the mantle he's placed on us becomes burdensome. Guys, we are going to dig through these subjects with you today. And we're, we're going to get to, as each one of us, dig through a part of this in your heart today. Because we want you to be able to feel comfortable at his table. Come on, Mephibosheth. You belong at his table oh, this man. morning. Y'all say something for me. Say, do not despise your life. Let me, let me say that again. Say, I will not despise my life. I will not despise my life. Y'all turn to John 9 with me. <laughs> I think we make that sound about every verse of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Dang, that's good. Shoo! Oh, baby. Come on. Like, you, you don't even know what it says when you get there, but you're excited about it. We have new vibrant life up here in Pastor Landon. (laughs) Are y'all in John 9? We're going to start in verse 1. It says, talking about Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered with neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when nobody can work. 
While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what is the very first thing that we see in this scripture? The same in Mephibosheth's story, the same in this one, the same in our story. What is the first prerequisite to your healing? Jesus has to look at you. Amen. Jesus looks at this blind man, and you could, you could say he's disabled because of his blindness, therefore he's a crippled man. So his disciples then ask him a question through the lens of a false perspective that they have, that they've been operating in the same as we operate in. What's the first question that we ask when we see somebody who's crippled in our flesh? They ask him, whose fault is that? What, uh, whose fault is it that that person is like they are? Did their mama not raise them right? Did their daddy not raise them right? Who sinned? And what does Jesus answer with? Neither of them sinned. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, and no one is at fault for this man's condition, not even himself. So you are not at fault for your crippledness. We are going to hammer this home today. I want to read a quote that Pastor Mike said last week, and I think these are the only two specific quotes in here, but we're going to smash them too. It says, and, and this is lengthy, and it's, it, it's a lot at once, so we're going to make sure we get it. It says, Mephibosheth was fathered by disobedience that cultivated a dysfunctional environment that led to uncertainty of residence that killed the wayward sons, and it afflicted the innocent ones as they were escaping. It afflicted the innocent ones as they were escaping. So going back to this passage in John 9, the blind man that Jesus is speaking about, if you read on, he gets healed. When you read Mephibosheth's story, it specifically says at the end of the story, and he was lame in both feet. It's important for you to know that he never got healed of his crippledness, but the guy in John 9 did. So why is that? Why do we still find ourselves viewing our crippledness as a spiritual crutch? Why do we use this as an excuse to not draw near to our Father, whether it's in worship, whether it's in our everyday life, whether it's in our prayer closet? Mephibosheth had this perspective when David called upon him. What did he say? Why would you choose a dead dog like me? I do not belong here because of my circumstance or my weakness. And the disciples in John 9, they said, whose fault is that? He shouldn't be here with us. He doesn't deserve to be here because he's blind. But according to Jesus, his response shows us that we, just like Mephibosheth <laughs> and the disciples, I knew it was going to get me at some point, <laughs> Mephibosheth and the disciples are actually pretty poor in judgment sometimes. Because according to Jesus, this impossible circumstance, as we like to call it, or better said, as Cason has defined it, this divinely influenced restriction it's something that he allows us to move forward with in our life. And he does this because his desire, according to John 9, is that his glory would be seen through our lives. And this is the reality of the kingdom that we've been called into. We no longer have to live life disabled by our poor circumstances as an excuse. Because I, the pastors, all of us, we all walk around more times than not saying, well, I can't, I can't go do that because, well because it hurts. I'm crippled. What, that's an excuse. And here in John 9, Jesus dispels excuses. Amen. When we begin to perceive this divine restraint the Lord has on us correctly, 
We allow the Lord to position us in such a way that he may produce life through us. And this ultimately leads to a posture of thankfulness that his light is shining through us regardless of our circumstances. What I want to be able to fulfill is 1 Thessalonians 5. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Amen. Give thanks in all circumstances. In all of your weakness, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So listen again to how Jesus wraps us this statement as we start kind of winding down John 9 here. The last verse, he says, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, he's not physically here anymore. But you are. We are here. Jesus is not physically here in the flesh with us, but we are here. And the word calls us his body, which means that we are his representation, as Pastor Mike likes to say. We are now the light in the world that Jesus claims that he is, and it's because we are seated at his table and his light resides in us. Therefore, we can't help but shine his light through us. You will always, I have to put it simply because I just gave you a mouthful. I gave myself a mouthful. To put it simply, you will always be a product of your circumstances until you accept the invitation not only to sit at his table, but also to belong at his table. It is then that your life's circumstances and purposes, which are many, all fall under the authority of the one who invited you to that table because it's then that we stop despising our weakness. He's the only one who provides the revelation of thankfulness and freedom for us in every circumstance. Pastor Landon just got done explaining to all of you of being God's representation. But sometimes, as his lamp that's supposed to be on a hill for the whole world to see, we just want to go find a bowl to hide under. Why? Because we don't think our light's good enough. But the truth is, is that the moment you came in contact with the Lord, he lit you up so bright that it was made to illuminate on the entire creation. But sometimes, we despise our circumstances more than we honor the one who lit us up with the light. There's got to be lit up this morning. <laughs> Something that I've learned in the past couple of years is a lot, a lot of times my attitude towards my circumstances are actually more exhausting than my actual circumstances. That is so true. Think about that just for a second. I walk around exhausted all the time because my attitude towards my life is exhausting. If I was born with a weakness, praise God, God is powerful throughout my weaknesses. And this isn't just a weakness message. This is a slowing down message. Slow down so you can hear the voice of the the Lord speak to you. I want to read a scripture over you this morning. And it's going to wreck you because it wrecked me. Proverbs 29 verse 18. Where there is no revelation. Come on, who needs revelation this morning? People cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. I'm going to read that one more time. Where there is no revelation, people cast off all restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Church, we must learn that the sweetest things in life come by the way of the Lord's mouth. Revelation comes by the way of the Father, and no revelation is a sign that you haven't been within earshot of his voice. 
But the beautiful thing is, is that you have a father who desires to carry you back to the table to have a conversation. Even when you feel hopeless, when you feel like you're stuck, the one you turn to is the one who's willing to carry you back to the table. So why do we avoid the table? The word restraint, when I was looking into it, in the literal Hebrew, translate to the act or act like a leader. So think about it in this way. So where there is no revelation, you will cast off all leadership or responsibility of leadership in your life. Whenever there's no revelation of who God's called you to be, despite your crippled nature, that is what carries... That is what helps you carry the load, as Pastor Kaysen was saying earlier. But where there's no revelation, you will cast off all leadership or responsibility of leadership in your life. Just go ahead and trade out the word restraint in that Proverbs 29 18 for a yoke or a mantle, right? Because that's what, that's what it's really talking about. It's not talking about a restraint like, like I am maliciously holding Devin back, but the idea that with the weight that God puts on his shoulders, that it might physically possibly if he's operating in his own strength and in his own flesh be feel like a restraint this is where the hebrew word comes from without without the revelation which comes by slowing down and just giving attention to god we'll view leadership in our life and our leadership positions as burdens rather than blessings they were always meant to be a blessing to every single one of you many would rather carry or crawl on their hands and knees if it means not dealing with their spiritual ailments, being blinded by the fact that they can be seen by actual leaders. So Malphibosheth, in his crippledness, could have just remained a cripple his entire life and denied the fact that he's a cripple. And how do you do that? By just avoiding anybody and everything. Avoiding all responsibility, avoiding all leadership. I don't want them to know how crippled I am. Saints, it's obvious you're crippled. It's obvious. It's obvious that you're crippled. <laughs> we, we, we say amen to that. It is obvious. There is no need to hide any of it. And rather than viewing your crippled nature, which is not sin, but rather weakness, was always made to be a benefit to you. When we see our crippled nature within ourselves, weakness as a benefit, that's whenever he actually starts carrying us. And he carries us to the right destination, by the way. But it takes what? Yielding and understanding and having trust that you have a Father in heaven who loves you. And like I say every week, he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. Yes. It's a Jesus plus nothing message today. It's a Jesus exclamation point message today. It's like, praise the Lord, I have a God who carries me to the table when I can't carry myself. Yeah. And I'm not... I'm not abandoned to the point like the snake in the garden where I'm eating of the dust my entire life. He actually has a feast for me at the table. So you don't have to crawl in your belly anymore, saints. You don't have to feel like you're struggling anymore. Because when you're carrying a, a, when a yoke, Jesus was really saying it, and he was actually telling the truth when he says, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because you don't have to carry it by yourself. Yeah. If right identity has not been revealed through revelation of Jesus Christ, where there is no revelation, then this will lead you to believe that all forms of leadership in your life is there for the purpose of restraint and shaming you. Every leader, any brother, anybody who just wants to come and help you, you're going to say, no, you're just trying to point out that I'm a cripple. 
No, I'll just crawl there. I'll just crawl my way over there. I'm fine. And what that does is whenever we don't come into the revelation of who Jesus Christ has made us to be, son, we then view all fathers as restraining and meant to just remind you of your shame. This is what happens when you have no revelation, as Proverbs 29 talks about. Romans 2, verse 4. And this is going to be a nail throughout this message, and I want you to listen into it today, considering all these things. Three times, in fact. (laughs) Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? So when you have a father run into you, say, son, man, I want you to be here with us tonight. He's like, get away from me. You're just trying to point it out. You ignore all forms of kindness in your life because you just believe that everything is for the purpose of pointing out that crippledness inside of you. Whenever your father has always just wanted to help you, but you can't be helped until you come to the revelation of your sonship. Are you hostile to these things that were always meant to be a blessing to you, saints? Why are they speaking to me like that? They just, they're just making me try to do something that I don't want to do. No son, no daughter, I'm simply extending my kindness to you because I love you. It's a kindness. It's a kindness. It was a kindness in 2 Samuel with Malphibosheth. And it was a kindness to us when God says, come walk with me. Come walk with me today. You may not know everything yet, but I know the seed. I know the promise that's in you. Where there's no revelation, you always feel within your relationship with others that you are dead weight, you are tolerated, and you are unwanted when the heart of the Father feels the complete opposite. Yeah. Guys, Pastor Devin's talking to you about a perspective where this is what leads to a lot of the other things we're going to talk about today. Uh, We're going to keep digging deeper and deeper, but... Do you understand right now in your life the way that you feel like dead weight to somebody else? You say, I'm ashamed of the fact that I have to be carried. When it was divinely, ina- th- was divinely enabled, it was divinely influenced that you w- did go through the crippling situation in the first place. God never desired for you to be hurting, but there might be an affliction on your life. There might be a restraint on your life that you weren't meant to throw off. Listen to this. We throw off our mantles for all the charismatics in here. And especially the responsibilities that come with them when we do not have eyes to see as the Father does. For example, I'm so worn out that everything with everything I have to do, I've got I've got estimates to write. I've got appointments to go to. I've been called 19 times this morning by a customer, and I got to preach a sermon. I got to be a father. I got to be a husband. I got so much to do. But one moment, you are weary and ready to throw off everything, right? Either you're like, God, this is too much. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to be... A husband, I don't want to be a wife. 
I don't want these responsibilities. We start throwing things off like that in one moment, but then in the next moment, after you've met with him face to face and you've slowed down enough, all of a sudden, everything's fine. Why is everything fine all of a sudden when your circumstance did not change at all? Not even a little bit. That's a good word. Nothing changed. The weight didn't change. The environment didn't change. How hot it is outside didn't change. The humidity in Peru didn't change, right? <laughs> oh, there is none. Well, the, that's well, yeah, the 0% humidity, the dry skin thing that didn't change. <laughs> Guys, there... Whenever we go and meet with him, all of a sudden the weight of his yoke, the weight of his restraint on our life does not feel heavy anymore. And that's because we're under it with him. All of a sudden we feel like we can fly again, right? Because there are those days that whenever we're, whenever we're in him and dude, there is nothing going to slow us down. There is nothing going to weigh us down. There is nothing going to stop me. Red, Red Bull couldn't even boost me right now. I'm already flying. I already got wings. I don't even need caffeine today. That's a dangerous thing to say, right? Yeah. This is a very simple concept, though, church, that we experience in small ways on a daily basis, right? I'm telling you that today you can see your most paralyzing weaknesses. Listen, I know you're crying babies in the room. Listen. I'm telling you that today you can see your most paralyzing weaknesses and your heaviest weights in the same light as the little things. It's like, oh, God, like, I'm having a hard day. Oh, now I'm okay, even though I'm having a hard day. The bit, that's the little stuff, the big stuff, the overarching problems that we've seen in your life and that we've seen in our lives for years at a time. That's the stuff that we're saying that you can be free from today. His kindness has taken me out of darkness and into light. It's taken me out of the grave and into life. It's taken me out of poverty and into abundance, out of shame and into gladness, and out of mourning and into rejoicing. Hallelujah. Your circumstances on a daily basis and from the entirety of your life have never been the problem. Ever. 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 Let me say that again. Your circumstances on a daily basis and from the entirety of your life have never been the problem. Slow down. You are free today from the idea that those paralyzed legs and your messed up family are the reason you aren't seeing God's glory shining from your life. Not on your life even. From your life. It's not the reason. Because... There's a cripple man named Mephibosheth that gets picked up and carried into the presence. And whenever the, he finally gets to speak his mind, the king ignores the fact that he considers himself a dog. You've already been invited to the family, guys, of the reigning king. Your lack of joy, lack of wisdom, lack of influence, lack of authority is 100% resolved. And the acceptance of the invitation to his table and in the receiving of his name via adoption that he has carried you into. This means that husbands will no longer be neglecting wives. This means because it's just too much to handle. I got too much going on, so my wife gets the worst of me. This means that mothers will no longer resent children. This means that men will no longer obsess over their inabilities. And this means that women will no longer obsess over an unclean past. 
whenever he's already called you whole and clean. He is undeniably good, yeah? He is undeniably good, yes. and his goodness leads you and me to repentance. Today, I'm not provoking your thoughts towards repentance from little fleshly tendencies. Today, we're discussing the slew, we in Texas, we're going to say slew of reasons. You find to do anything but accept the fact that you are crippled and will never be anything but crippled until you find yourself participating in his life in a real intimate, tangible, interactive kind of way. His kindness leads us to repentance, a moving away from the exhausting efforts of our crippled flesh to the glory of simply being with him. We're putting the brakes on you today and saying, we don't want you to accomplish not one more thing without knowing that you are doing what you do in him, through him, and most importantly for you today, with him knowing that he is sitting right there beside you in that passenger seat of your car, right? Like, you don't need to go, you don't need to go and accomplish another thing. You don't need, we don't need to grow this church another family without having another, without having an obsession with the fact that we are doing everything with him. We're putting these breaks on, on you today because we feel like it's more important that you absorb this revelation than that you go and accomplish another thing in your crippled flesh. Listen to the way that Jesus describes us in a parable in Matthew chapter 22. Y'all go ahead and turn to Matthew 22 with us. Say divine restraint when you get there. Divine restraint. Yeah, that's more to half the church. All right, Matthew 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who have been invited to the banquet to tell them, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, To those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my, my oxen and my fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, ill-treated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed the murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I have invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite the, to the banquet anyone you find. So the servant went out onto the streets and gathered all the people there. They could find both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Both good and bad. But when the king came and see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without your wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. The king told the attendants, tie him up foot and throw him outside into darkness whether it be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. There's two different points or two different sections I see in this parable, but we're going to talk about the first half for a second. We've heard the scripture many times, and it is prevalent even today for us to hear. On Thursday night, what was said while we were teaching was that God does not want your stuff. He wants your attention. Because if he can get your attention, 
He will do everything that you need him to do. He'll do whatever he can in order to get your attention, by the way. He'll take away everything for the sake of getting your eyes on him. Because he's confident that if you can get your eyes on him, then things can actually begin to change in you. But what do we see here in this parable? That people have fields and businesses to attend to. I don't have time to be at the table in the banquet with you. How many times are we more focused on the fields and the businesses rather than the kingdom and rather than the banquet and the table where you can gain revelation? Can any of you recall planning a wedding? Was it an overwhelmingly excited time or was it an afterthought? Very excited. Our fields, our businesses, even our self-inward desires cannot receive more attention than him. And I'm not asking you to stop working, by the way, as much as everybody wants to do that. What I'm asking of you this morning is to wake up to the revelation of your sonship and just spend time with him again. Just spend time with him again. He has everything you need at the banquet table, but it starts with us not viewing this divine restraint as a burden, rather as a catalyst which produces trust within, within yourself so that you can carry out to his table, that you would trust in him that he can carry you back to the table. I want to make it simple for you guys this morning. We're going to get up here every Sunday and teach you something new. But it will do absolutely nothing for you. It starts with going to him. Like every day. We can teach you a really cool things throughout the word, but the recipe for this is starting your day, your life, your everything starts with him. So I want to capitalize on something Devin just mentioned a second ago. Thursday night, he said, God does not want our stuff. He wants our attention. So... Your intentions will always decide where your attention lies. And because that's good and has changed my life, I'm going to say it again. Your intentions, what I intend to do on a daily basis, will always dictate or decide where you give your attention. Right? We have such a hard time giving the Lord our attention. Why? It's a tough reality, but the reality is that we didn't intend to in the first place. And that's, that's a problem. Reconcile a problem. that we notice, yeah, we notice that problem within yeah. ourselves. Yeah. We notice that problem within this body. Within the body of believers worldwide, we notice this problem. And so we intend to do things like tending our fields and tending, taking care of our businesses and making sure that we dream and we have personal desires and we allow those things to grab our attention And that's good that we take care of businesses and fields and things like that. The Lord gives us that responsibility. There's a plethora of reasons why. But if we intend to be excellent in only those things, and spending time with the Lord is an afterthought, or it gets put on the back burner, because in reality that's what happens, then he'll never get the attention that he deserves. He was very intentional with us. Therefore, we receive all of his intention. He had you and me on his mind when he was up on the cross. We had his full attention 
in his mind when he was on that cross for us, right? We heard something this week that we were listening to in the marriage ceremony in Matthew 22 here. It's described that the father throwing the ceremony is the father in heaven. The son is the groom who is Jesus. And the movement or events of the feast itself is the Holy Spirit. And it's a triune effect that happens when you walk into this ceremony. So with that in mind, if the marriage ceremony in the scripture represents you and I being joined to our bridegroom who is Christ, then he doesn't just deserve our first fruits, which he does. He deserves all of our attention. So married men. Married men, when you go on a date with your wifey, is she not deserving of every single bit of your attention? I mean, like every single bit. Everything. Everything. Can I get an amen from the wives? Woo! Why is that? It's because she is your bride. She is your precious, adorned jewel. There is nothing more, there should be nothing more precious to you than your own wife, right? right? Well, how would you feel then if you are giving all this love and attention to your wife and your wife gives only half of her attention back to you. Doesn't that just seem messed up? Like, that's not fair, baby. So we, so, so get this, we understand that. We understand the relationship man and wife have. We understand that if we give our attention and they don't give theirs, that hurts, whichever way you look at it, right? So why then, if our earthly relationship with our spouse is a direct reflection of our spiritual relationship with our bridegroom in heaven, why is it that we just don't understand how this is supposed to work? It shows us, we talk about cross-culture, it, tells, it shows us that if this is not working, then we're going to know that this isn't working. Yeah. But we've made it up to seem like this is working and then just pretended that this is working too. And in reality, as we've mentioned ten times now, we can all see crippleness. It is obvious, right? So why does it seem easy for us to understand these earthly principles but not carry it out properly in our relationship with him? At the end of this Matthew 22, we see the man who the king in the, in the banquet sees, and he says, everyone else is dressed the same. Everyone else, if you, if you do a Hebrew search, everyone else is provided a robe to wear. Everyone has the same robe on. That guy stands out like a black sheep in the middle of white sheep. What is the problem with that guy? What does he do? He makes a beeline for that guy. And (laughs) And he says, well, let me get to it. And he says, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? In other words, why are you in here and not wearing the robe that was provided for you? So maybe... Why we fail to understand this in the way we should is because we have refused to take off our dirty, tattered robes and put on his robe of righteousness that he provides to cover us fully in, right? In this passage, he had a robe provided for him, but what would, re- what would be the requirement for someone to have something? You go and change clothes. What's the requirement? You have to take off what you have on to put on what you don't have on or else you would just look weird. Got to get naked. So the reason we avoid doing this is because we refuse to get naked in front of our bridegroom. 
in, in, in reality, in this right here, who is, who is the only person you should be naked in front of? Your bride, spouse. your spouse. The only person we should expose fully Hallelujah. our nakedness to is our earthly father, yeah. right? So when asked why he had not put on the robe provided for him, he was speechless and he could not provide an answer. When light exposes darkness, darkness runs out of excuses. You run out of your, when the, when the king himself comes to you, when your father comes to you and says, why did you not put that on? What are you going to say? He just called you bluff. <laughs> you, you can't even fathom anything to say. There's nothing you can say because light entered your darkness and it exposed it and darkness runs out of excuses. Yeah. We cannot operate rightly covered by his robe of righteousness unless we have first taken off our own robes. This only comes by way of putting off everything that distracts us and intentionally focusing our attention on him alone. There's a story that displays this really, really well. Y'all turn to Luke chapter 10. Because um, I think some of the, I think the subjects that God's been walking through with us these last few months have been the most powerful, essential, and effective things that, that have ever come through, right? It's just our, we're not, it doesn't, th things aren't starting to feel like Saul's armor anymore, right? Where we have these tools and we're, we have all this equipment and we're ready to go and do this, but then like we, it's too big for us. It doesn't fit us right because we're still a little shepherd boy at the time, right? Those, those things start to feel heavy on us. We are growing up in him right now. Yeah. And most of the time we say, yeah, yeah, like I talked with him this week. If I ask you, man, you look worn out right now. When's the last time you actually just sat down and spent time with him? You're like, yeah, yeah, I did this week. The tone of your voice alone, number one, and two, the posture that you're standing in and the exhaustion that it doesn't even take a spiritual man to see. A carnal man can see the exhaustion on you, the misery on you. It's, it's quite clear that you have not actually been with him. You can say that you've been with him all you want, but you, didn't, you did a drive-by on Jesus is what you did. You did a drive-by on him, <laughs> complained about your husband to him, and then <laughs> shut the door and said, okay, I'm good now. I spent time with them. No, you didn't. <laughs> Anyways, Luke 10. Y'all there? Look at verse 38. Luke 10, 38 says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively. Say attentively. Because Landon already pointed that out to you before the master absorbing every revelation he shared but Martha but Martha became exasperated exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests so she interrupted Jesus and said Lord don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all this work by myself you should tell her to get up and help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha. <laughs> Why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really that important? Are they really that important? 
are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted. And I won't take this privilege away from her. Come on, guys. We are a strong church. I mean, like, we, we got some, we have strong families. We got hardworking men. We've got women who know, we've, we have women and wives and single women who know their scriptures better than any I've ever met before. There is a strong and mighty characteristic about this church. But what I don't want to be a defining characteristic of this church is that we're the ones who get the most done. But whenever he's sitting in our living room, we don't know how to interact with him anymore. Come on, think about that for a minute. You feel ever feel uncomfortable in here in a time when his presence is moving in the room and you can see one, two, three, maybe a couple people getting moved by him, but you don't know how to do it anymore. And you're like, but I've been doing so much for you. He said, yeah, sit down, Martha. Mary chose the better thing. I would rather, I would rather, Yeshua himself would rather this church be accused of not getting enough done but know how to sit with him than be the ones who are getting more done but then in reality we we have to we have to wrestle with the fact we have to reconcile at the end of the day that we don't know him as well as we tell people that we know him because we build whole ministries we build whole churches sometimes off of a depth of relationship with jesus that we don't actually have we say we know them. We swear to everybody we do. We swear that the revelation we're preaching to you actually came from an intimate moment with him, but we actually just heard it from somebody else. There's so much more. Y'all, and we want, we want at Remnant Church, every family, we want every Christian we come, we come into contact with, but it's going to start here. God is speaking this to this church because he wants there to be a revolution in churches even all around us who have nothing to do with Remnant Church particularly, that there's a turning away from being so busy all the time with so many things, but then don't know him. Jesus says she chose the better thing, and I will not take this privilege from her. If he can't take the privilege from her or if he won't take the privilege from Mary of getting to sit there at his feet and feel comfortable there, then you can bet that no one on earth in the heavens or in hell itself can take that privilege away from her. You know what happens whenever you come into contact with someone who loves their spouse so much that you can't convince them otherwise? It's like, hey, Jamie, um, I, I know you were spending time with Devin today, but all those things that Devin told you to do, you didn't get done. She's like, she'd be like, why are you telling me that I didn't do my husband's list of things to do today? You don't think that he's okay with that because of the fact that I was with him the whole time? We do this in the church, though. You aren't doing enough. You aren't doing enough. Go do better. You're like, well, yeah, that's true most of the time. Most of the time, people who call themselves Christians really aren't doing all that much. That's true. But what if, what if we get to live with those accusations on our lives because we were too caught up in his presence that maybe to the carnal eye, we didn't get enough done. 
What if he only intended for you to have 12 disciples, not 300 people in your church? Come on, there's a whole setting in Peru where they just got moved from one city to another, started from ground zero all over again, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Man, that revelation is being made in our, in our pastors and friends there in Peru, and we want it to be made here too. What if, man, what if we can just slow down? There's a, there's a relationship, church, that we want you to make sure that you, that you know that you are supposed to have with him. It's not that the, those who preach and those who teach and those who prophesy are supposed to have a certain intimacy and a certain familiarity with him, and then you're supposed to glean from their familiarity with him. This isn't the Levitical priesthood anymore. And we can preach and teach from many cool revelations through it, but it's not the Levitical priesthood any longer. His spirit has been poured out on all men, and there is no reason that anyone else would have a more intimate relationship with him than you, other than the fact that you make yourself disqualified because you say that your crippled legs, Mephibosheth, that your bad family, Mephibosheth, is the reason you don't belong there. The king says, come sit at my table. Not one time, not two times, be a son at my table. Oh, and here's back everything that your family dropped the ball on because you're going to carry it for generations to come. Church, we're going to expound on this this Luke 10 scripture a little bit. I want you to keep your finger there, but I'm going to read Isaiah 30 to you. Isaiah 30, and we're just going to read verse 15. It says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Wow, but you would have none of it. This is in the middle of a heavy correction in Isaiah 30, the Lord is giving, and he stops the correction to say, hey, this is truth right here. And repentance and rest is your salvation, and trust in quietness is your strength. But as I was saying a minute ago, you wouldn't, you wouldn't accept it. The problem is not that rest has not been made available to you. As Kaysen would say, he's perfectly aware of all the busy things you got to do today. And he doesn't care. Rest has been made available to you. That's not the problem. The problem lies in the fact that we will not receive the rest that he has made available to us. The problem in Martha was not that she didn't have access to this rest. The problem in Martha was her refusal to receive the rest. Again, back to the Matthew 22. How many times in this situation, how many times do we, someone's coming over for dinner, our wives get all excited because they love having people over, and they're like, wow, my job really gets put on display today. Because not only does my husband come home, but I <laughs> have personal experience. Not only does my husband come home, but wow, I get to fulfill my duty as a, as a mother of my household and take care of it, make it look perfect, make it sparkle. And what if those people came over that evening not to come into a clean household? What if they came over because they were broken and crippled and they needed to see you operating in the gifts that the Father gives you to do? Operating in those gifts through you so that they, so that you might help point them back to the Father. This is that John 9, so that his works might be displayed in you. 
right? So the problem in Martha was not that she did not have access to the rest. It was that she refused to receive the rest. It's the problem in Martha. It's the problem in us. It always has been. And today we're going to expel the problem of refusing rest. So this revelation is important. It's important for several reasons, obviously. But one of them is because rest is a must-have in the kingdom. When we, listen to this progression. When we, according to, according to Isaiah, when we refuse to receive rest, when we refuse to receive rest, we make it difficult on ourselves to walk rightly with him, and here's why. When we refuse to receive rest, we are essentially refusing to sit at his table. When we are refusing to sit at his table, we find ourselves in the place denying him the ability to make us whole. Because wholeness comes by sitting at the table with your father. Amen. You can't get whole until you get naked, and that doesn't come until you just sit down at the table. <laughs> right? The table is where you receive your rest. Why, I, why, why can't I see Judah in my head sitting naked at the table? <laughs> because just the other day he tried to do that. <laughs> it's a common occurrence in our home. So, but, but listen to me. When we refuse to receive rest, we refuse to sit at his table. When we refuse to sit at his table, we, ref- we deny him the ability to make us whole because wholeness comes by sitting at the table with him, right? So that's where you receive your rest in its fullest form. A few of us guys the other night were talking about how rest is a progression. You start when you walk in the gates and you get to the place of face-to-face. Yeah. You move into the tabernacle and you move forward. It's not I need to stop at every station. It's I will naturally carry those stations out as I move forward toward the Father, right? So the progression this leads to is that rest is important. When we get caught up in the busyness like Martha did, we cannot receive the refreshing that comes by interacting with him in his presence. Mary resting at Jesus' feet in Luke 10 allowed her to be refreshed and strengthened, according to Isaiah 30, in that place of quietness in his presence. What do you do when you get along with Jesus? Most of the time. What should you do when you get along with Jesus? Just stop. Slow down. What did Jesus tell Martha? He wasn't mad at Martha. He said, Martha, my beloved Martha, how I love you. Let me lovingly correct you and reposition your aim to my feet so that way you can receive the strength and the refreshing to be able to continue to do the task that I've designed for you to do. The noise of busyness will always keep you from hearing the Lord's voice. This morning, the Lord is bringing us to a place of rest. And this morning, right here, in this very moment, we are going to rightly respond to the open invitation of rest. Church, we read Romans 2, 4, and we're going to read it again. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? We're making a turn to the close of our message today, but this is where we start to see the evidence of receiving his rest and repentance. We don't, we don't want you guys to feel like you have to have someone else in leadership over your life tell you and diagnose you 
because in reality, if you slow down long enough, you can feel where you're at. Like anybody have like back and like knee pain and stuff? And it's like nobody has to tell you, hey, your knees are bad. You're like, yeah, no kidding. I feel it every night when I lay down. <laughs> like, it's like, like nobody has to, you feel it, right? We want you guys to be able to see the evidence of receiving his rest and repentance. We're proclaiming over to you today that these things that, um, that we're about to read in Titus, in Titus, Titus chapter 3 are the things that we will see happening in this church, that we are already seeing in this church. Because at Remnant Church, we are being seated as sons, and we've been saying it for months, and we're going to keep saying it until we can look in the eyes and say, yeah, I can tell you've looked in the eyes of my father because you've got the same look in your eyes that I have in my eyes right now. I can see in you the same thing that I feel in me. And we're going to keep preaching this message. So y'all turn to Titus chapter 3. It's going to be our last passage of the day. Titus chapter 3, we're going to start at the beginning in verse 1. It says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Come on, wives. To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness, what did David say about Mephibosheth? Who can I show my kindness to? Kindness leads to repentance. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for all mankind appeared or was made known to you, he saved us. And he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, would be, we would be made heirs, sons. We would be made sons according to the eternal hope. This is a trustworthy statement. And considering these things, I want you to speak confidently about these things so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These are things that are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning self-condemning himself wow so Mephibosheth each of you here in this room today what if what if the sign of you receiving his rest what if the sign of your repentance is not that you're not paralyzed or crippled in your legs anymore what if the sign of your repentance isn't that you get a crown and that you get like the same glory as the king what if it is actually the in fact that you have inherited everything that he intends you to inherit because he knows that the authority coming through your life is the same authority that is on your life and you can be entrusted with all of it this changes our idea of what of what even repentance looks like because 
one as a church in some ways i hear some people misuse the repentant uh, misuse the word repentance and i would rather we change how we use it we say i repented to her because of i did that wrong thing to her or i repented to so and so no that takes away the beauty of repentance. I think we can exchange that word for I confessed my sin or I apologize. But the beauty of repentance is that you turned away from whatever it was, anything other than Jesus. And obviously in Luke 10, it doesn't mean that you had to turn away from being a homicidal murderer, right? It could just mean you turned away from your sink full of dirty dishes. What if repentance looks like you turning, turning off the vacuum cleaner and sitting down long enough to hear from them? What if it meant you stopping trying to write another good message long enough to hear from him? What if it meant stopping listening to that sermon on replay and you just listened to him directly and you spent time with him? I'm not discouraging house chores and certainly not discouraging listening to your pastor's sermons. But what if you could have the relationship with him that you hear that other people have. When we have been carried to a table, had the shame of our generations wiped away and undeserved love poured out on us and now have a wholeness and a sense of belonging growing in us, we cannot help but handle difficult people as we have been so kindly dealt with. What did Titus chapter 3 say? But it says, for we also once were foolish disobedient, deceived, enslaved of various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul just instructed right before that to malign no one, to be peaceable and gentle and show every consideration for all men. Guys, this is going to change how we even interact with those who we call our enemies. Why do you think Jesus himself said, do not hate your enemies back, but rather pray for your enemies? Do you remember the way that David responded whenever he heard Absalom had been killed? When someone came and bragged that the greatest threat, so to say, of, king, of, of David's kingship finally got taken out. And he's like, that's not something to laugh about. That's not something to rejoice over. That was my son, and I planned on redeeming him, not killing him. That messenger was killed on account of saying, see, Jesus, I took him out. Your enemy, I took him out. He was like, you were supposed to redeem him. You weren't supposed to kill him. This is, we see this, guys, even with those. Do you remember what Absalom was doing? Absalom, the way his whole coup was started was that he stood at a gate and caught people on the way in and said, the king doesn't have time for you. And if you try to go and approach him, he's going to brush you off. But I've got answers for you. Wow. I've got something good for you. Guys, do we not accidentally even do that when we try to give a good word of wisdom to a brother or sister who is in pain in their crippled nature? And we, we want to give them a good nugget of wisdom and say, let's sit down and see what the king has to say about it. Let me guide you by the hand to the king instead of giving you a good answer at the gate so that we can make a coup and I get in leadership and Jesus isn't in leadership anymore. We weren't simply granted the, li- the right to live. Like Mephibosheth, he, he sh- whenever a dynasty changes in a kingdom, all of the other family usually gets killed because they're all a threat to the throne. Right. All the last reigning family has to get annihilated. So there's no threat to the new family that's on the throne. 
We were not simply granted the right to live like Mephibosheth, but we became heirs like Mephibosheth. The only rejection we begin to see in a church, according to Titus 3, is is with a man or a woman who is unashamedly bringing a spirit of divorce into the room. That's the only place we should see rejection at in this church. Because someone might take some time to grow. Someone might take some time to get a little critical spirit out of them and stuff like that. It might take them some time to gain wisdom. But the only thing that we should see rejection on in this church is a spirit of divorce walking in this room and saying, hey, guys, like y'all don't need each other or you don't need those pastors or you don't need that husband of yours. You don't need that wife of yours. You don't need that in your life. That's what gets rejected. All of a sudden, the dirtiness of one's past, their crippled flesh, does not produce rejection in the eyes of our king. But he is building a family under his name and will not tolerate one who is repeatedly causing separation. Romans 2.4, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Mephibosheth, sit down. Martha, slow down. You don't need to accomplish something else. You need to sit down. That being said, stand up. (laughs) Good timing. You can go sit down with the king later. Church, we want you to find this rest today. Mephibosheth's response to God's kindness was, why would you choose a dead dog like me? In light of this, I want to read Psalm 32, verse 8 through 9 over you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which has no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come. Church, God has not called any one of you to be a beast of burden, but rather he's called you to be a son of freedom. It is time to slow down and rest this morning. His eyes are on you. Now look at him. Christ and all of us are in this together. His yoke is easy and his burden is light because he is the one holding the majority of the weight. But he wants you to do it with him. So lift up your hands. God, we thank you, Lord, that you call us. Lord, in your kindness. Lord, we thank you that you help carry the weight. Lord, for this weight is crushing without you. Lord, but when we have you, Lord, we actually begin to feel light as though we can fly again. Lord, let us not be like Martha, Lord. I don't want to be busy, Lord. Lord, not being able to see you, Lord God, and paying attention to the things that matter the most. Lord God, so I'm just asking that you help us with our busy minds. Lord God, that we might humble ourselves and rest, Lord God, for where there is rest, Lord, there's a renewal of strength. Lord, for today, Lord, we need our strength to be renewed. Lord, I'm tired of doing it on my own. I'm tired of walking around to the next point and the next thing and feeling, not feeling your life in it at all. Lord, I lay down my life. Lord, we lay down our life. Lord, because we know that you're faithful to pick it up again. Oh, God, I'm asking that this week as Remnant Church goes out, Lord, that we would go out and rest, Lord, in satisfaction in your presence. Lord, for you're the only one that can satisfy. 
Lord, you're the only one that makes, Lord, wrong things right again. Lord God, and we'll become transparent and we'll become, trans, we'll become weak if it means that you make us strong. Lord, I can't live another day not being close to you. Lord, we cannot live another day not being close to you. Lord God, but today, Lord, we know that you're a father who is near, who has a, a seat at the table with our name on it, and we come and sit. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, today in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. We love you guys.